Listeners, welcome back to the business of wellness. I am your host, Jacqueline London, and I have a fantastic guest, a fantastic interview, a fantastic episode to share with you today. My guest today is Ken Rusk. He is the author of Wall Street Journal bestselling book. It is called Blue Collar Cash. I'm looking down because I'm sitting in front of it. If you're watching on YouTube right now, you can see it. It's a fantastic book. I just finished rereading certain parts after I listened to today's interview because I found this book so incredibly insightful, useful, no matter what, no matter how many diplomas are currently on your wall, no matter whether or not you went to college, you're going to college, you're thinking about going to college. This book has something for everyone. And I really learned so much. So I am not going to waste any more time teeing up this conversation. I really found so many insights that I think are tremendously valuable. And I know that you will as well. So I will let us get to our interview. But before we do, of I of course, I, I would be remiss not to remind you, please, if you like today's interview, feel free to leave a five-star rating and a kind, wonderful, generous review. And by generous, I mean, it could be one word. You could just say, love it and and be out of there in less than three seconds. Wherever you're listening right now, particularly on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, I would love to hear from you. I am reading all of the comments, all of the reviews. I, I don't let a day go by really without checking them. Some might call that obsessive, but I'll let you guys decide. Um, so I would love to hear from you. This podcast can only grow with your support. So the more you're able to share this with people that you think might get something out of it, and the more that you're able to uh, to engage with the content online, that really, really helps. All right. In the meantime, feel free to give me a follow or reach out to me if you have any questions at Jacqueline London RD on any and all social platforms and at Jacqueline London on TikTok. And let's get to the interview with Ken Rusk, author of Blue Collar Cash. Ken, welcome to the business of wellness. I'm thrilled to have you here. I feel like it's a it's a tremendous honor, first of all. And second, I was just saying to you offline, and I feel like my my listeners certainly need to hear this. I, I feel like I've done, I've gone or I've <laughs> I've done wrong. I, I just I feel like I need a I need a big reset, and that's why I'm so glad that you're here because I feel like you you can help me. You can help me with this. <laughs> well, thanks, Jacqueline. I appreciate you having me. Let's uh, let's dig into it and see what we can figure out. <laughs> okay, okay. I want to. I want. Uh, let me confess. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna start with a little a little confession here. So uh, it feel it feels like coming clean. It feels, <laughs> feels like a little a little coming little homecoming. I went to Northwestern University, uh, private school, four years I spent as a double major in dance and history. So here we are. <laughs> uh, I had to go back to graduate school for and a half years <laughs> to, to actually find and, and hone the skills of my trade, which is medical nutrition therapy. Um, and first of all, I mean, I got to thank my parents. I feel like any opportunity to thank them for that is, it really just can't be understated. But but let me also say, shucks. <laughs> because that feels like a lot of money and time that they won't, I won't get that back. And yet I feel like you you are offering us some solutions to not either making this mistake or also kind of honing in on now, okay, we're here, 
what what can we do about this for future generations? And how would you want other people, young people listening to this now to also think about the, the current, the kind of framework that we've been taught? Well, yeah, I, th I think the important thing for is, as kind of an overarching theme here is, you know, we have to ask ourselves eventually, why am I working to begin with? Okay, what, what am I after? I mean, what do I want my life to look like? And I think, I think what happens is, we're so good at li living this if-then situation. If I go to high school and if I get great grades and if I get a scholarship and if I get a good ACT score, if I get a good, you know, go into a school and if I get a degree and then if I get a job and it pays well, okay, then I can start living my life. And I, I, think, I think that's the problem is we don't really know, you know, we're, we're looking a week ahead or a month ahead. We're not looking way out there. And I think we don't teach kids, especially, um, in high school or even right after high school. Okay, so so what are you planning? What are you doing? Why do you want to do this? Why are you here? What what interests do you have? What's your nirvana look like? Mm. And I think it, we need to start with that because once you know what you want your life to look like, I, I was a ditch digger, okay? And there's a million different ways to get there. And, and a college degree is really only one of them. Now, I, I will tell you, they've done a great job because between colleges and counselors and teachers and high schools and attitudes in general, they've gone to parents and said, hey, if your kid doesn't go to college, he or she's not going to amount to anything. That's never been true. And it's especially not true now because half the country still does something with their hands every day. And yet fewer people are willing to do it, which opens up supply and demand 101, where supply is low and demand is high. That's where the money goes. And that's where all the opportunity is going right now. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. I, I really do feel like this is one of the greatest kind of myths of our time in some ways that that you must attend a four-year university in order to be successful. And yet at the same time, this creates this, you know, this kind of... Uh, aimlessness almost of this promise that college is going to deliver. You will know exactly what you want after college. How, how do we, I guess where, here's where, here's where I get a little stuck. And this is what I would love to hear from you on. Is it something I heard a lot when I was a senior in high school and something that I'm sure you hear a lot in, in your everyday life as well, right? Is how do we expect people that are 17, 16, 17, 18 to choose a major, right? Like to, to if you had gone the traditional path or the traditional path of, you know, old, the, the big business that is for your institutions, right? Um, how do you, how, how do we expect people to choose a major? Okay. Well, that feels hard enough, right? But then if we're saying to, to people, how do you, this is, you've got to figure out, you know, exactly what you want your life to look like or visualize what you'd want your life to look like. And then that way you can decide if maybe actually that four year institution is right for you. Or if there's something else, there's another path for you and there, there might be a, a better choice to make, right? So how do we kind of approach that with people who, anyone who's listening right now who has um, kids who are going into high school or people who are looking for alternative options, or if you are looking to make a career change, how would we say, how would we kind of set this up as what, what do you really want your life to look like? And what would you, what would you, what are some of the questions you want to ask? Well, that, that's, that's, that's the question of the day, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think, I, I think it starts like this. First off, let me just say from the outset that I, I'm not anti-college at all. Mm -hmm. If, if yeah. you're going to if you're going to operate on my shoulder so I can get back out on the golf course, 
I want you to know everything there is about a knife before you come at me with it. Okay, so the same thing goes with building a building or teaching people or managing money or, you know, engineering something. Yeah, you have to know how those things are done. And that's what I call a job-specific degree. So if you're one of those kids who says, you know, I really want to be a surgeon or I want to be a teacher, I want to be a banker, I want to be an engineer, I want to be something, you know, specific. Well, yeah, you're going to go to, to a specific school to take specific courses for a specific degree that's waiting for you on the other side. Mm. What I'm saying is for all those other kids who could have gone to shop class, might have been great carpenters, or they might have been great, you know, flower shop owners, or they might have been welders or electricians, or all the things that we need right now, hairdressers, estheticians, whatever it might be, those kids are just getting like shoved or funneled into the college scene, when in fact, they might be better off working tactily with their hands. And that's how they learn. So you, you really have to do a little soul searching early on to see what interests your child has had. Were they good at fixing things? Or were they good at messing around, playing with things, you know, building things when they were younger? Is that how they got their interest? I mean, you can kind of see what what they've done from the time they were three to the time they were 15, 16. And then you can kind of make that decision because all I'm asking you to do is just have an open mind mm. and give them all the options before you automatically shove them in down that path. And, and I'll tell you, part of the problem is, and I wrote an open letter on my website to parents about this. I understand that you think, well, I birthed this child, I clothed this child, I fed this child, I raised this child, I taught this child basic things, I protected them. So now, in order to finish my job as a parent, they have to go to school, they have to go to college. Yeah. That's the part that's new. That part's only been around for 10 or 20 years, and that's the part that I'm saying isn't true at all. Mm. You, you, you know, is our goal to raise a higher educated kid, or is our goal to raise a happy, self-sufficient, financially independent kid. And I don't think those are mutually exclusive, but that's where, that's what I'm saying. Let's, let's stop the madness of saying, Oh my God, my kid's a hundred grand in debt. He came out and he's now working at a rental car place because he's non-specific or she's non-specific in their degree. Let's end that madness because it's just ruining a lot of lives that way. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely true. What, what about the, um, you know, I, I mean, I think, I, I think all of this is, is the idea of having an alternative path. I think that's so important, right? Like is knowing that it's not, it's not just, doesn't have to just be one way. And I, I felt like that so many times, both in my career personally, but also as a practitioner, right? There's always another kind of option, uh, as, or another way to go about it, another way to approach better health and well-being in general, and certainly that is true of of one's own career path as well. And I, I'm I'm curious to know about your career path. How did you get started? Where what 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 type of work led you to um, to blue collar cash? And what were you finding in your work that that really inspired the book? Well, first off, I mean, to do this quickly, when I, I had a bunch of odd jobs, I was always working outside doing something, landscaping or whatever. Um, when I was 15, my high school shared a fence with an industrial park. And after school, we would kind of cut through that fence, walk through that industrial park on our way to the carryout, which is where we hung out after school to try to figure life out, right? So <laughs> I, I noticed that that, I mean, I knew some people that worked in this one particular business and it was always hustling and bustling, a lot of energy, a lot of people, a lot of things milling about. And I thought, this is, a, this is a pretty cool place. I'm going to check it out. So I, I knew that they were ditch diggers. That's what they did. Well, I thought, well, heck, I'm qualified to do that. So <laughs> I, um, 
I wanted money for my first car or, you know, take my girlfriend out for pizza or go bowling or whatever it might have been. So I started doing that in the summertime. And um, in the wintertime, when I was still in, in high school, I would work in the office. So that kind of gave me a front of the house, back of the house kind of feel. I learned how to run the entire company. So when I was 18, 19, I had the choice of either going to college or they said, do you want to help us open up branch offices all over the Midwest? Well, I said, well, let me think. I get the chance to go build a business from scratch yeah. over and over with somebody else's money and somebody else's you know, risk. And um, I thought that was a pretty good college, you know, you know, trial by fire kind of thing, right? So I did that. I opened up a half a dozen of those offices, and then I settled in in Northwest Ohio, which is where I am right now. Yeah. And we started here with about six people. I have my own company now, and we, we probably have a. I think we have nearly two hundred employees now, and uh, it's been a heck of a ride. But in all of that work and all of that time, Jacqueline, the, the big thing for me was. I always knew that working for myself, I could control my input. Mm -hmm. I could control my output. I could control the, the quality of that output, the quality of the work, the day, the pace, the schedule, the time. I could control my financial gain. And therefore, it was up to me to build the life that I wanted to chase those pieces and parts of my life puzzle that I was putting together. And, and I knew that I was solely in control of that nobody else was. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the big thing about you know, blue collar versus some of these other jobs is, you know, you have that control over your day and over what you do, um, which I think there's no other way to live life than, than to kind of have that. I totally agree. I totally agree with that. And yet, Ken, it took me 35 years. <laughs> <laughs> And two universities to figure that out. And I, I'm just thinking now, like, what? What was I do? I mean, wh why didn't I know that? I mean, at the, and at the same time, listen, I, I had some amazing, amazing experiences. Also, college, graduate school gave me amazing friendships, amazing connections, right? Like there's, there's nothing more truly valuable than that, especially when you consider what value really means to you personally. Sure. And I know you talk a lot about that in the book as well. Yeah, you know, I've, I've shocked a few parents in my day when I talk about this particular piece. So let's assume all in you're putting your child into college and it's 40, 50,000 a year, all in with everything, mm -hmm. books, travel, food, you know, the, the apartment or whatever, the whole thing. So over a four years period of time, that's, you know, 160 to $200,000 on the negative side of your asset base. Okay. Hopefully you didn't borrow all that money. Right. Right now, they're paying $30 an hour. I just saw this article this very morning. They're paying up $30 an hour for construction jobs and for jobs where you work with your hands. You know, there's a $50,000 a year job waiting for you right now. No experience necessary. After four years, that's 200000 on the plus side of your asset base. There's a $400,000 swing there between one and the other. And so when I say that to parents, they look at me like, Oh my God, how come nobody ever told me that? You know, how, how come I'm just learning about this now? Now, there is value in what you just said. There's value in relationships and there's value in all those other things. You just have to say to yourself, if, if my child can be 200,000 ahead of the game by the time they're 22, 23, 24, that's, that's part of a house. That's part of a 401k. That's part, that's a car pay. I mean, that's a fully paid for car. That's a savings account. All I'm saying is just, just consider that. 
before you automatically put that young man or young woman into the system when they might have been an amazing welder or an amazing electrician or, or, or have their own plumbing business or whatever. Right. So, so can I ask you something else on this that I'm curious about? Because I have a few theories, but I, I'm not, I, I know that you are, you would definitely have certainly expertise in this, in this arena, but where, where do you think that this idea kind of started? Is this, is this a big marketing, like a mass marketing push by institution, by four-year institutions that, that kind of led us to believe that there's only one way. Cause I'm, I'm wondering where this idea came from, where parents feel this, um, parents feel this way. And certainly, certainly I, all of my, uh, their parents, I, like, I, I feel like this is very much the, the kind of mainstream, but we do a lot of things now that are not necessarily mainstream and that we're coming right. Come a lot more comfortable with. I'm. I'm just kind of curious where you think this kind of started because you're right. You're so right that it wasn't always like this. Well, yeah, I call this. Uh, this is kind of like a perfect storm. It's like three confluences at the same time. So, when I was in high school, they had this thing called shop class, and you could walk down the hallway and look in these windows, and you could see someone doing somebody's hair, or you could see someone painting someone's nails, or you could see someone changing a transmission on a Mustang, or welding an out, or welding some metal, or or you know wiring an outlet, or or building some furniture, and and that's where kids accidentally discovered how cool these trades were just by trying it out, hands-on experience. Well. Some genius decided that we're going to take all those machines out of our high schools and we're going to put computers in those rooms. Now, I, I know we needed to learn computers, but why did it have to be one or the other? I mean, why couldn't it have been both, right? right. So you have that particular thing. All the high schools suddenly became college prep schools. Instead of life prep schools, they became college prep schools. So if you go to a college prep school, you know, you're going to kind of almost by osmosis think, well, I'm here at this college prep school. I need to go to college. If it was a French fry prep school, you'd need to go to French fry. I mean, that's just how it's just osmosis is what happens. So you got that piece. The other piece is, unfortunately, when I was younger, we went in the backyard and we built a tree fort with lumber, hammer, nails. We, we did all that and, 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 and learned that type of, of skill. Now kids are building Minecraft on their cell phones. I mean, it's just not the same experience. No slam to Minecraft. It's a cool game, but it's not the same experience as going out in the yard and do, trying to do something yourself. So if you have those two things and then colleges, man, are they good at shaming parents and they're good at shaming high schools into saying, if you aren't coming to see me, you aren't going to make it in this world. And that isn't, they use these statistics about, well, if you have a college degree, you make so much more money than the blue-collar workers. But here's their problem. When they do those statistics, they do those studies, they, they lump every single blue-collar job into the same bucket, including part-time jobs after school at fast food places and paper routes and some of these, you know, maybe if you're a waitress or whatever, they lump all those dollar per hour, all those more entry-level jobs into those. You take those out and put you know, trade skill, trade labor in there, you know, mm -hmm. carpenters, welders, plumbers, electricians, it's a whole nother story. But they, they don't want to put that out there because they're really good at marketing themselves. I don't blame them. I mean, they're a business. That's what they're supposed to do. I just think they're misleading a lot of people. And unfortunately for me, it's the kids that get saddled with this debt 
with, yeah. you know, imagine having eighty, hundred thousand dollars in debt and, and you don't have a real specific job now to go get after after college. I, I've heard kids say to me, man, I got hoodwinked here. I got sold down the river. When do I get to start my life? Instead of instead of buying a house with that hundred thousand dollars, I now have to pay that off. And I'm not even using my Eastern European language translation degree that I got. It's it's just crazy. So I'm trying to get the parents to say, stop, stop the madness. At least take a step back and look at this before you automatically walk down that path. So so let's talk about um, capital T, capital P path, the path that you outline um, and uh, that you outline in, in your work. And I'm wondering if you can can share with us what what some of the initial steps look, sound, feel like of, of kind of exploring what it is to make a different choice if you're at that stage or what you might say to someone who's rethinking what their current career looks like. What, what would be your kind of first initial steps into dipping that toe? I think, I think the most unused part of our brain is the what if or the visionary part of our brain. Okay. I think, you know, people talk about Elon Musk and, and Stephen Jobs and, you know, Richard Branson and all those kind of Tim, all, Tim, all those kind of people. Yeah. The, the difference between them and the rest of us is they're really, really good at using the visual, the visual side of their brain, the, the what if side of their brain and the imagination side of their brain. And so for, for me, it's all about, can you figure out why you want to work to begin with? I mean, can you figure out those types of things? I do an exercise where I have people take a poster board and believe it or not, a good old fashioned box of Crayola crayons. Okay. Because yeah. the last time you held a crayon in your hand, you were probably four and you're at your most creative part of your life, right? Here, here's a, here's a piece of paper, draw a horse. Okay. Yeah, um, it, was, it didn't turn out well for me. In that well, way. but it's okay. It came out of your head. That's what's important. So, <laughs> I'll have them draw what type of, you know, domicile would they like? Would it be a, a house or an apartment or a condo, a farmhouse in the, in the you know, out in, out in the farmland or would it be in the suburbs? And then I'll have them kind of surround that with what would be your mode of transportation? Like what would be your favorite, like silver Ford pickup truck or what would, what would it be? What would be your, your hobby? Okay, what would that look like? What would your charity moment look like if you had an extra hundred bucks and you had some time and some talents? What would you do with it? What, what would you do with, um, let's say, your sport, okay? Mm -hmm. How about your pet? Would you have a, a dog or a cat? And if so, what color? What would you name it? I mean, get real specific. Build this life puzzle for yourself because here's the thing. You know, designing a vacation, only you and you know alone what that could look like. Only you know what that would, that perfect nirvana, that, man, if I could live like this, that would be really cool. So I encourage everybody to start with that vision and then all you need to do, like any path, chop it up into a bunch of small pieces and get those pieces one step at a time. It's the progression towards the puzzle of life that you build for yourself. That's what makes life interesting. That's what makes life anticipatory. And um, I don't think, other than anticipating many things at the same time, I don't think there's any other way to live. Oh, it's such a good point. And that's so well said. And thank you for that. Because I, I think something that something that resonated with, with me so much about what you just said is that I feel very strongly about this, about both vacations and business travel of any type, right? I, I always feel like having a plan and it's okay if that plan changes, but having a plan or a re or a rationale of specific reason to go and travel to a certain place automatically gives you this sense of 
freedom, right? You're not just going anywhere. You don't get on a plane to just anywhere, right? Like you have to, you have to know where you're going. What are the things that are important to you then when you're spending time in a new place? And if it's, if it's for business, let's say, and you have much less choice, perhaps in where you're traveling for a specific, a specific client, a specific reason, then it's really about what are the things that are important to you in this place that you didn't choose and how can you set them up for yourself to actually make them feel meaningful? What are the sort of KPIs around this specific trip? What are the things that you'd want to get out of it? I feel like that that very small kind of specific example really helps with the chopping it up. But I, I can also see that if I were that if something if I were sitting down to think this through and especially if I were younger, right? That it would be a challenge for me to think Oh my God, that's so daunting. What do I want my life to look like? I have no idea, right? Like, do, is that, do you ever get that or, or are well, people? What, what happens is you do this over a period of time, you know, like, for example, if, if you've ever built a puzzle on your dining room table, the easiest thing to do is you need to put all the square pieces in first, all the corners, right? So that's what everybody does. And right. then they take this pile of pieces and they start to assemble this thing. And it might take them a week. It might take them a month. They might do it a little bit every day or maybe just on the weekends. But here's the thing. You cannot build that puzzle without the cover of the box next to you at the table. You can't. I mean, try it. I mean, I suppose if you were locked in a room for 10 years, you'd eventually get there without the box. But you need to have that picture of what you think you know, what you're trying to create. And that's why I say you just hit it on the head a minute ago. Have you ever gotten on a plane and said, wow, I wonder where this baby's going? No, you, <laughs> same thing. You back your car out of a driveway, you put it in drive. Where the heck am I going? You know, you know exactly what you're doing. And, and you, you do this in life already. That's what I'm saying. You plan every day that you get up, you've got, a, you've got, a res, you've got an end game that you're, that you're going to consider, whether it's work or church or school, whatever it might be. Hmm. You do the same thing with vacations. We're all really good at planning, you know, a Florida vacation, you know, beach, chair, breeze, palm trees, you know, my sandals, the smell, the suntan lotion, the drink, the, the music, whatever, right? Right. If we're so good at these mini planning sessions, why can't we be good at planning the rest of our life? The, the, well, the answer is you can. You just have to take some time. You have to. I do this with kids that are 14 years old. It, it may take me eight weeks to get them to, to to complete their drawing, but they get there. And yeah. it's it's really cool to see because they're all different. I mean, every one of them is completely different than the next. And um, it's just a cool thing. So if they can do it, mm -hmm. I think the rest of us can do it too. Totally. I mean, what I'm thinking about as you say that too is that even if, if someone had just done that, exercise with me or, or had just kind of opened up the idea of doing that exercise, like once every couple of years, starting at 14, you know what I mean? I think there's also some real, because even if it changes your general, like you start to become more specific over time about the things, you know, you like versus you don't like, because I think at 14, if, if you had said to me at 14, like what, let's, let's start mapping this out that I might've said things that ultimately it would turn out. I really didn't like at all. Like I didn't discover until graduate school that I really, really liked science, right? Like any time that I would, yeah. that, that liking it is actually what made me good at it is because all I wanted to do was like, keep doing it and learn more and all that. But, but I was discouraged from that in high school because I just, it wasn't, it, it, I didn't have much aptitude for it. You know, like I, I wasn't very good at it. I was yeah. a writer, you know, like that's what it, that's, that's what I was taught to, to think about myself. 
And, and it wasn't wrong, but it wasn't the whole story either, right? Like the whole story was actually, I could be really good at these skills over here that I hadn't really been taught to lean into much. And then it's- Yeah, and, 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 you, and you're right. You're right, Jacqueline. There's, you can't expect a 14-year-old to know exactly what their life's going to look like going forward. I get that. But what you are doing is you're teaching them to learn that they are in control of what that ultimately is. And it's their choice. You know, nobody knows your, I I don't know what your favorite color is. I could say, well, Jacqueline, your favorite color is blue. Happens to be mine. Nobody knows that but you, right? So it's, it's, it's uniquely our own to decide how cool our life could be and where that nirvana lives and where that nirvana, you know, centers around who I am and what, what I'm after. And that, that's all I'm saying is, is let's, let's, let's give these kids a lot more courage a lot more confidence to say, I'm going to design because ultimately someone's going to kick you out of the nest, right? right? And whether that's at 20 or 25 or 30, you're going to get kicked out of the nest and it's, it's incumbent upon you to know, well, what, what's this going to look like now for me? So I'm just making the case that maybe we should start um, showing people how to do this. And by the way, you can do this when you're 40. I, I had a guy the other day who said to me, you know, I read your book. Um, I read it a year and a half ago. I was in this cubicle on the 15th floor selling medical supplies after my college degree. I hate it. I remember being a plumber when I was going through college and I was this plumber's helper and I love the independence and the outside and the control. So I quit my job. I went back to being a plumber, never been happier in my whole life. So, but what he started with was God, I need to comp- I need to contemplate what the rest of my life is going to look like here before I start making these heavy decisions, and that's what he did. And I, I hear that a lot, so I, th- I think it's um, pretty valuable advice. Amazing. So I want to switch gears for a second and talk about something else that we've been taught to despise or fear or think of as such a very bad thing. But you have a different take on it, which is the the old comfort zone. <laughs> Tell us about tell us about why a comfort zone is actually can can be kind of revelatory if we get more comfortable with a comfort zone. Yeah, well, you know, first I'll tell you, then I'm going to contradict myself. I think the way to growth is is putting yourself sometimes in uncomfortable positions, and a good example of that is public speaking. Okay, people fear public speaking until they speak in front of three or four people, and then ten people, and then twenty, and then pretty soon, like, oh man, I got this. So sometimes growth requires you, you you making yourself or putting yourself in uncomfortable places. So that's that's one thing. But when I talk about comfort, peace, and freedom in the book. What I'm really talking about is this perfect triangle, this perfect nirvana of of these these terms that kind of interrely upon each other. Okay, mm-hmm. and when I talk about comfort, uh, you know, it's easy to go towards okay, well, pajamas on my couch with my remote in my hand. That that's not really what I'm talking about. Right. What I'm saying is, l- look at yourself, look at who you are, and say, you know, what what could I do to make myself feel like I'm in a really comfortable place with who I am, how I project, mm. how I look, how I feel, my health, um, you know, my ability to interact, my ability to love other people, um, to make friends with people. How can I get myself to that really comfortable place where I am good? I'm good with, I'm good with me, okay? I, you know, we are all made individually, and we all have to take as much advantage of what we've been given. So... Mm. Feel, you know, get to a place where you're comfortable with yourself, work on that really hard, 
And then that's kind of like the beginning because once you do that, then you can decide, well, what is the rest of the board looking like? What, what's, what's the comfort that's going to come from the rest of this, from the transportation mm-hmm. and the sport and the hobby and the health and the charity and all those kinds of things? That eventually leads to what the second term, which is peace. And, and for me, you can say peace is the absence of war. Yeah, you're right. That's true. But for me, if I'm walking down a fairway on a golf course, total peace. Okay. I got that. If I'm taking my dogs for a walk in the park, total peace. And and I look forward to that stuff, but you have to define what that is. And it's not going to happen to you. Life doesn't happen to you. You have to happen to life. So if that's what your peace part is, go get it, go do that, stay in that place as many times as you can. Because ultimately, if you have comfort and peace, then the freedom comes along. And the freedom to me is the freedom to be Okay, I've got those other things handled. I'm comfortable financially. I'm, I'm, I'm peaceful in what. So now I've got this freedom to be spontaneous. Mm. I've got the freedom to be, you know, to love somebody else, to, to be friends with somebody else. I have the freedom to say, you know what, tomorrow night, let's go out and have a beer together. And I mean it and we do it instead of just yeah. saying you do it. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. The, the freedom to, to think about giving back, the freedom to think about helping others, the freedom to think about maybe mentoring somebody. It, it's a really cool place when you can get those things in line and say, man, I've got comfort, peace, and freedom because guess what? You're like one in a thousand people who ever pull that off in their lifetime, but it can happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I love I love that point. I think that's a huge point because I, and I'd love to hear you speak more on, on this specifically, which is the idea of making plans and following through with them. And I am, by the way, I will confess it here publicly <laughs> that I am the, the first person to feel like I have done this so many times, which is that I will be working on something almost at the expense of other, other plans, other things. And, and then have every one of my best intentions is to make it to that drink that with the, you know, going to get a beer with a friend that to, to have that be the goal and to think I'm going to do it. And then I wind up feeling like, Oh God, I can't do that because I have to get X, Y, Z done. That is work related. And certainly that's, that's entirely, I think, um, you know, that certainly could be, could be said that that is a question of, of priorities or like the way that you're ultimately setting up your time that don't, reflect the the kind of more uh, greater boundary setting around how you protect your time. But I'm wondering if you can speak more about that, because I think it's important for people to hear how that can be so freeing rather than feeling like you're feeling like it's rigid. So there are things that you need to do that kind of live on your shoulder. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then there's things that you can schedule and get off of your shoulder. It's, 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 it's really so, you know, if I wanted to go out to lunch with you, I wouldn't say it, think it, dream about it or wish it. I would say, hey, Jacqueline, what are you doing next Thursday at noon? Okay, right. in my book, there it is, it's done. Now I can completely forget about that, but I know that I've just added balance to my life, okay? Right. Because, you know, having a friend, going out to lunch, you know, working out, um, taking a walk in the park, you, you need to have balance in your life, taking care of your health, Right. You need to fill, fill these buckets equally. I can tell you, I've heard so many people, man, this guy worked hard his whole life. He went to retire at 72, built his dream house and fell over. Okay. Right, right, I mean, right. yeah. to me, I don't want to wait till I'm 72 to start living. 
Okay. Right. But I also want to, I also realize that again, there's work, there's health, there's self, there's spiritual, there's mental, there's, there's all these other joys in your life. You just have to fill these buckets equally, but they have to be very intentional. And that's why I'm such a big planner. Okay. Mm. A big scheduler because a lot of goals can be easily flipped from if goals to when goals by just putting in the element of time. You know, I've had people here that say, God, can I really like to go to Scotland to visit my cousin? Boom. All right, let's do that. What's yeah. that going to cost you? $3,000. Okay. How much can you save a week? 20 bucks. Okay. 20 times 52 is a thousand times three years. Three years from today, you're going to go visit your cousin in Scotland for sure. End of story. Put it on the board. Start date, end date, payroll deduction. There's the money. Put it in an account you can't touch. Boom. You're going to Scotland in three years. And they look at you like, wow, you just invented penicillin. <laughs> no, I mean, you're just setting it up. You're taking an if goal and making it a when, and you're creating certainty by inserting the element of time. So if you want to go in two years, you got to save 40 bucks or, or 30, whatever, $30. If you want to do it in a year, you got to save, you know, what, 3,000 divided by 52, $60 a week. It's all about how you, how you get that figured out. The thing is though, it's one more advantage because I did this. I, I, I've been to Europe many times to play golf and we always do it the same way. We put it two or three years out. Mm. And the cool thing is you anticipate that for two years. You talk about it with your buddies. You dream about teeing off at the home of golf, St. Andrews on the first tee. You know, you think about where you're going to stay, you know, the, the, the air. I mean, you think of uh, the breeze, all that stuff. You get to think about it and you get to own and you get to put in your mind for two straight years in anticipation and then you go do it and it's amazing. So yeah, it's it's a long answer for you, but you, you gotta put yourself in position to just get get off someday never comes. Trust me, someday will never show up. Okay. Today always does. Um, right. so that's why I say put yourself in a position to get it done, put it in the book, schedule it, forget about it, and then you're gonna go, Wow, Jacqueline. That was fun. I'm glad we had lunch together. And you're going to say, man, we should have done that a long time ago. Well, yeah, right. you're right. Right. So right. yeah, that's kind of how it goes. You know, it's, it's also an interesting, um, it's an interesting model and, and an interesting concept as it relates to personal health as well. Right. Because I, I can't tell you how many times, I mean, I, I am always seeing people after they've tried every, um, every sort of magical promise diet, right? For, right. for weight loss or for even for general. And it turns out, oh, I, you know, and the, the tendency is to say, I, I screwed up. Like I can't do it. Right. But I think this right. in some ways is very similar in that it, the tendency is to say, I can't, I can't do those things because I live in the real world or like whatever other excuse that, that we kind of make for it. But the, the truth of it is more that the, the paradigm, the, the entire model is, is slightly flawed. Like we're not taught even, you know, you mentioned the shop class when you were in high school. And I think to some extent, we're not taught some of these very basic life skills of saying, no, it's actually, that's, it's the model that's wrong. It's, it's not the, it's not quite the, the model that you need to be thinking about, right? Because, but, but I also, I'm also wondering what you think about that as it relates to your point about retirement, right? Which is that we aren't built to just live when we retire. I mean, it's such an insane concept when you really think about it. <laughs> we, we should be feeling, we should be feeling some degree of anticipation, like you mentioned, at, at every life stage, at every point, right? So how, how can we kind of build that in for ourselves 
in, in a variety of different ways. Well, first off, you know, I heard a very hardcore statement about losing weight the other day. Yeah. And they said, if you're trying to lose weight, okay, and you're, you, let's say you feel like you're overweight. Mm. And after a year, if you don't lose that weight, then you secretly want to be overweight. Oof. It was pretty hardcore. And they said, because there are so many things today that can help you accomplish that goal. There's, mm -hmm. there's peptides and biologics and exosomes. And there's all the things that you talk about, diet and health and all the great things that if, if it's still there after a while, you're making a decision to keep it. And, and so that's, it's, it's a hardcore statement, but people are like, wow, am I really doing that? Am I sabotaging myself because I'm in the mode of wanting it to always do things? So I think that's a tough one. I, I really do. It's an individual thing for everybody. And um, when I read that, I was like, man, that's pretty hardcore. But, you know, if you think about it for half a second, maybe there's something to it. I don't know. But when it comes to, when it comes to retirement, I think the thing there is pretty simple. I, I think, first off, you have to understand that they claim that people that are born today almost certainly will live to 100, mm. okay, because of the advances in technologies and all the things that, that, that again, you talk about. And I love the work that, that you do. Yeah. So if I'm 58, do I think 78 is going to be it like, like it was 10 years ago? No, it's probably longer than that. So I'm going to need to sustain myself, and I'm going to need to take care of myself. And that's why I think about, well, should I wait until my knee breaks and then get it operated on where they have to put a new knee in or they have to put a bunch of plastic parts in there? Or should I do things like maybe stem cell technology to take care of it before it breaks? Mm. Are those options for me? And um, I want to golf for a long time. So I'm going to do these different things to prevent and be proactive with my health rather than reactive. And I think the same thing goes through with, with retirement. I think everything that you think about is, okay, I need to be proactive here instead of reactive. I need to plan. And, and here's some of the silly secrets about retirement. If you're 21 years of age and you put 60 bucks a week away in your 401k, yeah. you can save that money for 10 years, stop saving it. And when you're retired, you're going to have over a million dollars in your 401k account. Now, mind you, you only save $33,000, but you're going to have over a million dollars in your 401k account. Right. If you do the math, it works out. And I've had a lot of different financial people do this because of the power of young money and the power of doubling, okay? The power of investment when your money doubles. If you wait until you're 35 to save that same money, you have to save for 30 years to only collect 600000 Right. And it's only because of the way that money compounds and the way that it doubles. You're, 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 you're leaving yourself out of the first two or three doubles that you would have gotten as a younger person. Why we don't teach that in high school and, um, you know, take your first 30 or your first 60 bucks and throw that away like you never had it. Why we don't teach that in high school is beyond me because we would be so less dependent on all these social programs if people yes. just did that. I mean, it, it's such an easy thing and nobody talks about it. It makes me crazy because it's so powerful and it's so freeing. I, imagine having your retirement in your mind handled yeah. by the time you were 21. Yeah, it's done. insane. It's over. Right? It's insane. Okay, okay. <laughs> this is blowing my mind. This is blowing my mind. So I need to ask you. I need to ask you more about that. So, what else? What else are we not being taught in school? That I because I'll give you a great example of this. 
It's a great point that you made earlier also about, I remember taking um, computer class, like it was, we had to learn how to use computer, right? Like I was in elementary school, I can remember playing numbers and I I played with my cousin, the, the Oregon Trail. It was my favorite game on the computer that was like this monster, yeah. right? Like I, and I, it's interesting because I know, you know, my friends who have kids now, they're those those kids are not going to grow up without a de- like basically knowing almost intuitively how to use devices, right? Right. But, but we, but at the same time, there are certain things we're missing from school that are just basic life skills. Like I remember my mom sitting down to to teach me how to balance a checkbook, right? But if if she hadn't done that. <laughs> I might have nothing. Right. <laughs> like I think about that, right? Like it's there's certain things that that we just don't that aren't a part of like the the basic like could someone just have explained to me in high school what does the IRS do and what are they doing? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Every year. Well, here's a needy. I mean it feels like a great Here's a good one. Here's a here's a good one. So let's assume that you're gonna have a party, right? Yeah. in your backyard and you want to rent tables and chairs. Yeah. So you're going to rent these tables and chairs for Saturday, right? And you pay the money and um, you have the tables and chairs and then you don't return them on Saturday. You just leave them in your backyard for a month. So every day you're getting charged more to leave those tables and chairs just sit in your backyard, right? Yeah. Because you're not returning them quickly. Isn't that the exact same thing that happens with a credit card? I mean, you're, you're borrowing this money, and the longer you let that money sit around, tables and chairs in your backyard, the more you're going to pay to rent that money. Because when people borrow money, when they have interest or whatever, they don't, they don't assign the word rent. But that's what you're doing. You're renting someone else's money. So why leave it laying around in your backyard like tables and chairs? Get it back as soon as you can. So I talk about credit card use. You know, I don't mind credit cards as long as they're used to build your credit report, which unfortunately, you know, we all have that number <laughs> that's assigned to yeah. us. But if you're going to use a credit card, let's say you have a hundred, have $100 in your pocket, go to the mall, put the 100 on your credit card, go upstairs, pay the 100 off on the credit card. You still get the same experience, but you don't have the debt and you're not renting anybody's money. I mean, you may have rented it for an hour, okay, but you're building your credit bureau that way. And, and, and that's the responsible use of money. We don't teach that. No, no. We allow kids to go to the mailbox when they're 18 and see the 17 credit card offers that all of a sudden they got their name from some list. And now there's these credit cards in their mailbox. Wow, you can get a free credit card or here or there or whatever. It's, it's insane how we hook people on, on that heroin so yeah. early. And we yeah. don't teach them how to use it, you know? So the nuts. buy now, I also think this is, this one's relatively new is the buy now, pay later model with which has exploded over the last few years i can only imagine yeah. that that seems like not a good i feel like you would you would say ken would say please do not please buy now and pay now if you're going to buy it all <laughs> I, I heard i heard an even better one i mean you're right i would say that but there's even a better one if you want to buy something from the mall go to the mall try it on say yeah, yeah i'm going to buy this and then leave it there for a week Yes. Don't buy it. And then, and then if, if you're dreaming about it and you can't sleep because you really got to have that sweater, then yeah, go back and get it. But a lot of times you're like, yeah, I guess I really didn't need that thing. And think of how many purchases you wouldn't make if you thought about it that way. 
great point. Great point. I did that one recently and it turned out I was thinking about a pair of sunglasses. In fact, <laughs> I did. I went back and you want to know what? I'm enjoying the hell out of them. I, <laughs> yeah. really, it turned out to be a really, the really right decision, but it's so true. We do that all the time. With so, I mean, there's countless other examples where I have sadly not done that. All right. So I've got to, I've got to let you go soon. So I've got to wrap up with a, a few last questions on on the book and and to hear and I want you to to share with our listeners where to find the book as well but what what would you say uh, things have been let's let's say less than ideal here at the end of 2022. I mean, I think yeah. a lot of us are feeling a little overwhelmed, a little burdened, a little bit like I think burnout has become, you know, sort of the word of the day just about everywhere. What if you were giving a, a sort of, I don't want to say, I don't want to say Cliff's Notes because of course listeners must go and buy Blue Collar Cash because it is a fantastic resource and a fantastic kind of blueprint of, of where to get started. But what would what would be your kind of top three pieces of advice for people who are feeling a little stuck and burnt out at the same time? So so the idea of feeling like, all right, now there's something else that I've got to do to kind of kickstart my, you know, my vision or get started with vision of my life is going to look like. How, how would we break this down for people in a way that feels um, attainable and aspirational at the same time? Like something I really want to do, but, but I feel like I can get one piece of it done today. Where would you want people to start? Yeah, well, I, I would say a couple things. I would say, first off, when it comes to goal setting, you need to practice, okay? You need to mm -hmm. start really small, okay? If I want to do something, I'm going to set a three-month goal. Let's say I need to save $300 to go do something, okay? I'm going to save $30 a week or whatever for 10 weeks. Start really small, but m make sure that you really put that down on a piece of paper, put it up on the wall where you can see it every single day because what your brain sees, it attracts itself. What, what your brain imagines very clearly, it automatically drags you towards. So I would say start small, learn small, and then you'll start to hit bigger and bigger, bigger goals. You'll take on bigger and bigger ones as you go because the first time you actually complete something, you're going to go, man, that is so cool. I want to do that again. And you get a lot of confidence in that. The second thing is nobody that I know has ever been burned out when they were progressing in their life. Okay. Yes. If, if, yes. If, if, if you keep, if you keep hiking the football and you're, you know, your running back runs right into the line and never gets anywhere. I get that. That's going to be tough. But if you're gaining ground on the field, I think that exhilarates the team. It exhilarates you. So I would say, you know, look forward to what you want get a lot of things out there, anticipate a lot of really cool memories and things and, and, and things that would make your life or your life puzzle come together. And then as you progress towards them, that will eliminate any burnout that you've ever had. So mm. I, I like, I kind of like those two things, start small, get good at it, and then go for it and, 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 you know, build your life out the way you see it. Um, and you'll get it one step at a time. Such a good point. And so well said. I, I completely agree with you about the about your your philosophy on burnout. I think that is very well put. You're not burnt out doing things you love doing, even if it means it's taking up a lot of time and attention and focus. It still may be something that's really feeding you back. So I think that's that's hugely important for so many of us to think about, including myself. All right, Ken, where can people learn more about you? Where can we find you? And where can we get the book? Well, if you go to KenRusk.com, you'll be able to find it on uh, any of the different stores that, that sell books, Amazon and iBooks and local bookstores and all that kind of stuff. One of the things I did recently for this time of year, though, is 
I built this course that goes along with the book and, you know, I'm not, my, my life was really good before I wrote this book. I, I, I tend to donate the money that I get from my book back to different, different causes locally anyway. But one of the things I did was I built this course. It's $129. If you buy it, you get a free $25 book. And if you do that, I will donate one to somebody that, you know, um, who could use this information. So it's kind of a buy one, get one and donate it to somebody that you know and love. And and the reason I do that is because this this information, it's not just a book on the shelf where you read it and then all of a sudden that book becomes like a trophy and then you have all these books you've read but you can't remember what's in any of them, you know what I mean, three months later. So there are courses out there for $1,000, $1,500. No, I, I wanted to do this really simple, really affordable and um, I wanted to give back in a way that says, I'm not only, you're not only going to read this book, but this course, it's only eight hours, okay? You can do it eight individual hours or eight at one time. This course will change the way you think about your future, and it'll force you to say, okay, I'm done living that way. I'm, I'm living now. I'm living in the today. And um, again, I love giving back. It's what I do. And uh, it, just know that if you help yourself, you'll be helping someone else in the process. Amazing. Ken, I love that. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for all of this wisdom and insight. I feel like we, we've really, I feel I came in feeling a little bit sorry for myself. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like just re, I think I'm going to start personally. I'm starting by rethinking my calendar, which I think needs a little, just needs a little updating, needs a little bit of a, a refresh. Right now. Do it. Do it right now. And you know what the, you know, the, the quickest thing you could do, call a friend and invite him to lunch, put it on your calendar, it. make it happen. I'm doing, literally <laughs> going to do it in about two minutes. All right. Ken, so much. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to The Business of Wellness. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Remember that advice provided on this podcast is based on my application of research and practice as a registered dietitian and should not replace medical advice provided by your physician. If you like what you're listening to, please follow the show, leave a five-star rating, and share something you love from today's episode by leaving a review. This podcast only grows with your support. So if you enjoyed this episode, share it far and wide. It may be the one thing someone needs to hear to start building that roadmap today to secure a healthier, happier future. That's it for now. So until next time, cheers.